0: Welcome to the Monterey podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, that is worth celebrating. Amen, church? Amen. Uh, we give our praise and our thanksgiving to God. Welcome on this beautiful last Sunday of March 2019. I began with just a bit of cool in the air this morning. But we're not far away from really, really warm temperatures as we enjoy spring and then summer. Uh, I look forward to those days when it's 100 degrees during the daytime and 60 degrees at night. Uh, The beauty of living in Lubbock, Texas. We welcome all of you today. If you are a guest with us, we especially welcome you. Uh, We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by our time together in worship this morning for all of you. uh, Whether you are a guest with us or a part of the Monterey Church family, uh, we would invite you to take one of the connection cards that you'll find inside our bulletin. Uh, That gives not only a record of your attendance today, but gives you an opportunity if there are requests you would like for us to pray about, if there's other information that would be helpful for us to know, or questions that you have regarding the Monterey Church Uh, Just jot all of those down and we'll be glad to follow up with you and we'll certainly honor the prayer request that you may include on those connection cards. Uh, We are obviously here to worship and to praise our God, but it's also as a church family, a great time to celebrate things that are going on in our community and so many ties between this church and different groups in our city. And so we congratulate uh, the women's basketball team at Lubbock Christian University for winning the national championship on Friday night. A second time in four years, and uh, what a blessing. And then the Texas Tech Red Raiders making it to the final four. And as I told a number of folks this morning, because I grew up in Kentucky and I am a Kentucky Wildcats fan It is possible, yaboo, it is possible, it is possible that Tech and Kentucky could end up in the national championship game, and if that happens, I'll probably have to watch it in a closet somewhere, (laughs) separated from people. What a blessing to be together. Let's begin with a prayer, please. Oh, God, the words that we have already shared together in song... Uh, The fact that you are always present, uh, the fact that through the cross of Jesus, we know that death has been arrested, that we no longer have to be afraid of the grave. God, we are thankful. And as we continue to talk about what that means for our lives, as we talk about being a people of faith and love and hope, I pray that you'll bless our study together today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, today is the last lesson in a series that we've been exploring from 1 Thessalonians, a little five-chapter letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young church that he and his co-workers planted in the city of Thessalonica. As we pointed out in our opening sermon, uh, Thessalonica was a significant city in that first-century world. In fact, back in 146 A.D., the Romans had named Thessalonica as the capital city of Macedonia. And you stumble across that region of Macedonia numerous times when you read the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts and Paul's different missionary tours. And so on on one of his tours, Paul had made his way to the city of Thessalonica. He had preached the good news of Jesus there for a number of weeks, A church was planted. He moved on primarily because of persecution, and evidently a short period of time later, he wrote a letter to this church in Thessalonica, a church that may have been no more than eight to nine months old when Paul writes 1 Thessalonians. And so I want you to have that image in your mind as we conclude this series today. I want you to think back to the time when you became a follower of Jesus you may have been 12 years of age, you may have been 50 years of age, but I want you to think back to the time when you became a follower of Jesus, and then I want you to think about the weeks and the months that followed that, uh, the incredible joys and blessings in being a follower of Jesus, but perhaps as well the challenges and the temptations that you faced in those early weeks, in those early months. As we've pointed out throughout this series, Paul begins this letter with a prayer of thanksgiving. Pretty typical of Paul's letters it's a prayer of thanksgiving that in many respects gives us some hints as to themes that Paul is going to explore in this letter. And so we've allowed that little prayer of thanksgiving to be the launching pad for the lessons that we have studied together. And I want you to hear those opening words one more time today. And so chapter 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then these words of greeting, grace and peace to you. And then the prayer of thanksgiving. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, and love, and hope. Three significant themes in this letter. And so again, we've explored what it looked like for that church to be a church that was led by, that was directed by, that was influenced by, that was motivated by faith, and love, and hope. Today, let me close the series by inviting us to reflect on how faith and love and hope play out in our lives. And we've obviously done some of that throughout the series, but in particular today, what are the implications of a life lived with faith and hope and love? I want to begin by reading again kind of Paul's summary, Paul's commentary on the life of this young church the way they turned their lives to God. And then following that reading, I want you to hear a commentary on the life of another young church. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. You became, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy that is given in the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. What a tremendous testimony these believers were to others around the world. Therefore, Paul says, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Commentary on the young church in the city of Jerusalem. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and A lot of similarities in my judgment between the church in Jerusalem and the church in Thessalonica. And so what does a life marked by faith in God look like? What does it mean to trust God? Well, to use Paul's language in 1 Thessalonians 1, it means not only to turn to God, but it means to turn in order to serve. And that is a powerful implication for our lives as well to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, to trust God every step of the journey, no matter what we face. But more than just trusting God as we serve God, it is the firm conviction that God will never leave us alone. And I am convinced in the midst of an early In the midst of that young church, the early days of following Jesus and the suffering and the persecution that comes, I am convinced this church lives trusting the promises of God. And so as we reflect on life in the good moments and in the storms of life, may we also recognize never once did we ever walk alone. What does a life marked by faith in God look like? In the words of Acts chapter 2, there is deep devotion to the Word of God, and there is a deep commitment to one another. And so Luke uses words like fellowship and communion and relationship, even to the point that these believers were willing to sell property and possessions in order to take care of one another. What does a life marked by faith in God look like? Well, again, it's fascinating to look at these prayers of thanksgiving in Paul's letters. Often, as we pointed out, often there is an opening prayer of thanksgiving, a short one in 1 Thessalonians. You turn to Ephesians, it is a longer one, but in several of Paul's letters, in addition to an opening prayer of thanksgiving, you will discover a second thanksgiving section that in some respects builds upon the first In another respect, that leads to some culminating observations and challenges and exhortations that Paul will offer to these churches. And so as you read through 1 Thessalonians, you come to a second Thanksgiving section in chapter 2, verse 13. And Paul will use words like these. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, Which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as it actually is the Word of God, which is at work in you who believe. That's what a life of faith looks like. That we take the Word of God seriously, that we accept the Word of God. The Word of God is at work in our lives, changing us, molding us, transforming us, convicting us, in order that we might be more and more like Jesus. In fact, if my approach in reading scripture is to say, well, let me just read and maybe I'll learn something, probably not going to do me a whole lot of good. If my approach to reading scripture and studying scripture is to say, God, I want you to use the power of your word to speak into my life and into my heart. Show me areas where I need to grow. Show me areas where I need to change. It is deeply accepting the word of God. And it is that, that second Thanksgiving section where Paul thanks God for the way these folks accepted the word of God, it is that second Thanksgiving section that will lead to the challenge Paul extends in chapter 4 that we explored a couple of weeks ago. You may remember that in chapter 4, on two different occasions, Paul will use that beautiful little verbal form translated, I urge you. As I've pointed out before, a a verbal form that's only used about 15 times in the entire New Testament, and it is as if the writer is saying, okay, folks, we've reached the point. Sit up, pay attention. Here's what I'm driving at, and Paul will say, using the word twice in chapter 4, I urge you to live a holy life especially marked by sexual behavior that honors God to avoid sexual immorality. And I urge you to love one another. I urge you to live holy lives And I urge you to love one another. Exhortations that begin rapid fire with Paul, ultimately culminating in a burst of short to the point exhortations at the end of the letter. I want you to be joyful always. I want you to pray continually. I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. I want you to be careful that you don't put out the Spirit's fire. That's what a life of faith looks like. And so may I ask what does your faith look like? I'm not asking if you are perfect. None of us are. I'm not asking if you have answers to all of the questions. What I'm asking you to do is to prayerfully reflect on the ways that God has blessed and is blessing you, to reflect on the promises of God that are playing out in your life every day, to recognize never once, never once, have we ever walked alone? And because of that, we declare the power and the beauty and the wonder of the name of Jesus in our lives. And we do so believing that God has the power again and again and again to be at work in our lives. Because you see, a life that is marked by faith is a life that lives out the story of Jesus, that imitates Jesus, A life of faith is a life that tells the story of Jesus, sometimes with words, but maybe even more powerfully by the way that we live, the kind of confidence and trust that we live with every day. And so let me invite you to pause with me, and I want us to reflect on the ways that God has blessed us. I'm going to begin a prayer, and I invite you to join with me in simply giving thanks to God for the ways He has walked with you. And then I invite us, as we reflect on the way God has blessed us, I invite us to say yes to God again today. I'm going to begin and then just leave the prayer open-ended and give us a moment of silence to lay our hearts and our minds before God and then to listen and to join in the words of these great songs. Let's pray together. God, I don't know about others in the room, but far, far too often I don't take time to just be quiet and to reflect on the ways that you have blessed my life. A firm assurance, God, that I've never, that we've never walked alone. No matter what the circumstances of life are, you've been right there with us, and we thank you. And now, God, as we reflect on that, we surrender again to you. We pledge again our faith to you. And may we live with that kind of trust, that kind of faith. Faith, love, and hope. And so what does a life of love look like? Well, one... We love God because he first loved us. In the words of Jesus, we love God with, with, with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because after all, that is the greatest commandment. And then second, we love others. We love those who don't know Jesus. We love those who are often ignored and neglected and abandoned. We love those on the fringes of society who often do not have a voice. The vulnerable, the children, the poor, the homeless, we love even our enemies. And what a difference our world would look like if we and others chose to love even our enemies. But, and this is so important in 1 Thessalonians, in my judgment, it is not Paul ignoring the love we have for God, and it is not Paul ignoring the love that we are to have for others, but in this letter... Paul again and again talks about the love that we have for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, again, in chapter 4, he says, Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. It's almost like a preacher saying, I don't need to talk to you about brotherly love because you're doing a good job of it. About brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. You've been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. And so we urge you, there's that word again, we urge you to do so more and more. Love one another. Maybe because Jesus says that's the way the world will know that we are his followers. In fact, let me build on what we have already said. This life of deep faith a confidence that we do not walk alone. And as a result, we live with confidence and hope and peace and assurance, something the world often does not understand. And so we become an incredible testimony to the world of what a life of faith looks like. And we become an incredible testimony to the world of what a life of love looks like. Not only so the world will recognize us as followers of Jesus, but because we need each other. We cling to each other. We love each other because we desperately need that kind of relationship. The implications of love run deep. A church that loves one another is a church that is deeply committed to unity, committed to one another with patience, with endurance, even at times tolerating one another, because you see, we do belong to each other in Christ Jesus. And listen, church, we affirm that every Sunday when we share communion in spite of our differences in spite of the warts and the bruises that are a part of life. When we share communion, we affirm the love of God that will never let us go. And we affirm that same kind of love for one another. We affirm the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus that has brought us together, that has made us one, we celebrate the love of God that will never let go of us. And may we be committed to that kind of love for each other. Let's pray together as we share the bread and the cup this morning. Father, as we reflect on faith, We give you thanks for your faithfulness that calls us to be a people of faith. And God, we reflect on your love that calls us to be a people of love. And God, we reflect on your work and your promises, the power of the resurrection that calls us to be a people of hope. And God, we celebrate all of that as we remember the body and the blood of Christ. And we don't do that in isolation. We do that together as a body of believers. May we be a people guided, marked by faith and love and hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who pointed out to me this morning, uh, based on the bulletin, uh, pointed out that I'm preaching three times this morning. Uh, This is the third sermon, and uh, it is the one that will go 25 or 30 minutes. Join me for another four or five minutes as we tie all of this together, I pray. Uh, Faith, love, and hope. Uh, That's the order that Paul uses in that opening prayer of thanksgiving in contrast to uh, the order that he will use in other epistles, faith and hope and love. For example, in 1 Corinthians 13... Faith, love, and now hope. And so what does a life of hope look like? As we pointed out last Sunday, our hope is a living hope. It is a hope that is based on the resurrection of Jesus. It is not wishful thinking about the future. Rather, it's this idea that because of the resurrection, we have stepped into the future and yanked the future into the present moment. And so we live in both the present and the future. We live in this already and not yet moment. And we do so with incredible confidence in God's promises for the future. And so we talk about a hope that is living and a hope that guides us in the present moment and as we anticipate the future as well. Guaranteed by the resurrection, guaranteed by the promises of God, Guaranteed by the promise of the coming of Jesus. Guaranteed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing that inheritance. And so what does a life of hope look like? Well, let me affirm again for a moment what we talked about last Sunday. That kind of hope gives us leverage when we face the tough stuff of life. Those things that seem absolutely unbearable, suffering and heartache, and disease, and even death, those things that seem absolutely unbearable become bearable. And every time I use that language, I'm reminded of the title of a book by N.T. Wright as he talks about the hope we live with, surprised by hope, that in this broken, fallen world, the resurrection declares hope even to the point of folks who think there is no hope being surprised by that kind of hope. And so we have leverage. And that kind of hope also calls us to engage in risky living, the phrase that I used last Sunday. That is, we don't shift into neutral. We engage in kingdom living with exuberance and boldness and joy and excitement to use the language of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 again, these believers had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. And as you read both First and 2 Thessalonians, it is a matter of Paul saying, those of you who have shifted into idol, that's not what it means to wait for the coming of Jesus. To wait for the coming of Jesus means you do so with passion and praise and worship and devotion in every part of your life. In the incredibly good moments we burst into joy, in the incredible pain, incredibly painful moments we experience a peace that passes understanding, a peace the world doesn't understand, peace even in the midst of the storms of life, faith and love and hope, a three-legged church. A church that is devoted to the word of God, a church that is devoted to one another, a church that is devoted to fellowship and prayer. In fact, if you would allow me to come full circle, we started by referencing that prayer of thanksgiving. And as you read Paul's letters, whether we're talking about a prayer of thanksgiving or just the emphasis Paul gives to prayer, Paul's letters are all about the importance of the church being a church of prayer. And so may we allow these prayers to guide us and to call us to be a people of prayer. And so I close today and I close this series with some of my favorite quotes on prayer. S.D. Gordon, who wrote, the greatest thing that anyone can do for God and for one another is prayer. It's not the only thing, but it is the chief thing. The great people of the earth are the people who pray. I do not mean those people who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer, but I mean those people who take the time to pray. And then the words of George Barna, interestingly enough, who's done lots of research on churches, what are the marks of a healthy church, a growing church, etc. And interestingly enough, in one book in which he cites all sorts of qualities of a church that is healthy, he concludes by talking about prayer and saying, if we don't get that one on straight... Then we've really missed the mark with everything else. He says a healthy church is a praying church, as determined by the number of people who pray, the frequency with which they pray. And I don't think he's talking about some kind of legalistic approach. Keep up with how many minutes you prayed. Because he goes ahead to say the intensity with which they pray and the joy they experience from their prayers. If God is really believed to be the power source and prayer is really seen as our means of communication with him, a church's faith can be determined by the condition of its prayer life. Or as the great theologian Karl Barth put it, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. I close with those words on prayer. And I close with Paul's concluding admonitions to the church in Thessalonica. But I want it to be real in our lives. And so, Monterey, be joyful always. Monterey, pray continually. Monterey, give thanks in all circumstances. Monterey, do not put out the Spirit's fire. May we be a church of faith and love and hope. Let's pray together. God, we thank you again for being a faithful God and for being a God of love and for being a God of promise and resurrection power who gives us every reason in the world to live with hope. Thank you, God. And God, I thank you for this church family. We're not perfect, but I pray, God, we're beginning to look more and more like Jesus with each passing day. May we be a people of faith and love and hope. And Jesus, in the words you taught your disciples and that you taught us to pray, Father, may your kingdom come. May we believe that praying to you is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder and the evil of this world. And so, God, may your kingdom come more fully in our hearts right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.